straight about that. And after this, everything is intentional. There is not an accident uh, as part of this. So the disciples start off on a good note. They get in the boat. They push away from the shore. They listen. They obeyed these words of Jesus. And we're told right there that they, they took Jesus just as he was. So that means that Jesus said, do it. Okay, Jesus, we're not going to go and, and tell people. We're not going to make arrangements. We are just going to shove off and we are going to, we are going to head out into these hopefully calm waters. This is, this is the follow me part of discipleship. Right? When Jesus enters your life and says, follow me. When, when we follow him, no matter, no matter what's going to happen, they, the disciples don't say, why are we going to do this? They don't say, how come? They did not try to impose their own will on this. And that's the first step of discipleship. And, and, and that's all, all of us, uh, I'm hoping, have, have entered into that and taken that step of saying, okay, Jesus, uh, I, I don't, I'm not going to question the why or the what or the how. I am going to get in the boat with you. But on another note here, the disciples are probably a little off balance. They're probably on edge about this because in their vision of who Jesus is, he's there to restore Israel. He's there to restore the Jews to prominence. But what we, what we see happen is they're going to go to the other side. They're going to go across uh, the Sea of Galilee to the other side to Gentile territory to people who are not part of Israel, people that they considered heathens and unclean. And so when they're making this, this voyage, they have to confront their ideas of what are we doing and who are we going to do it to. This would have been a very distasteful journey for them. Discipleship means for all of us that we have to get in the boat with Jesus. That we have to go where he is going to take us, regardless of, even at the beginning, if we understand the journey. If we don't know what, he is, what purpose he is bringing about in our life or the life of the kingdom. We have to release some of these things that we hang on to that we expect Jesus to affirm. Whether that is our politics election time, whether that is our, our, our finances, whether that is uh, our, our culture or our race or whatever it is that we are hanging on to that, that we want to give us some special value in the eyes of God, we have, to, we have to release that. That's part of getting in the boat. When we get in the boat with Jesus, we align our destiny and our purpose with his. We affirm that we are going to go in the, the, the same direction and we are going to have the same destination. And we also affirm that Jesus is the one that gets to pick that, not necessarily us. And I think it's significant here that after, after Jesus says, let's go to the other side, the, 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 that Mark, when he wrote this, said they left the crowds. I think we like to hang on to our crowds. That we like to hang on to the people that build us up, the people that, that affirm us. We like to surround ourselves with, with, with like-mindedness. And, and this conflicts with our discipleship uh, arrangement and our relationship that we have with Jesus. So the disciples and Jesus, they left their popularity. They left the source of their growing power and affirmation to now go to the other side uh, of the lake.
See, popularity and, and, and power is not what the kingdom of God is, is built on. And that's part of what Jesus is showing when they, when, they, when they make this movement. So the disciples are heading away from their vision of the Messiah. And he's also taking them on the offensive. If you, when you get home, if you read Mark chapter 5, you're going to see right off that they're confronted with a, with a, with a demon-possessed man that has been chained up because he's so powerful no one knows what to do with him. And Jesus is going to send out the demons into a herd of pigs that are going to then run into the sea. And then, and then Jesus is on his way to, to raise a dead little girl back to life. And on the way, a, a woman comes and just touches him and is healed of her sickness. So Jesus is on the offensive and showing the result of, of faith in the life of people and how it restores and makes things new. It's the doing aspect. But the getting into the boat with Jesus, this transition between hearing and doing, this is, this is where we struggle too in our discipleship. And I, I know it's true for me and it's true of people that I coach, it's true of people that I go to church with, uh, and, and so I'm going to assume that it's true of, uh, of almost all of us in this room. We have this trouble letting go of the things that we value. We have trouble letting go of the things that make us seem better than others. We have trouble letting go of our image. And so we, we try to follow Jesus having one foot in the boat and one foot out of the boat which is not really a stable relationship, right? We want just enough Jesus to make everything work out. Okay, Jesus, if you could just come into my life and, and take the way that I am and, and the way I relate to other people, and if you can take the decisions that I make, and if you could just make everything uh, go fine, if I, can have, if I can have smooth sailing all the way to the other side, that's as much Jesus as I need. I want to be prosperous. But... A lot of times we don't necessarily want enough Jesus that's going to take us places we don't want to go. We don't want to be fully surrendered to that. We like the crowd. We're going to now go to Mark chapter 4, or excuse me, back to Mark chapter 4, verse 37. And we're going to see that's not all smooth sailing. It says, A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. So this storm moves in fast, and I think living in Florida, we can relate to this, right? Every day, just about every afternoon, storms race in, and it gets windy, and the rain pours down, and they could be here, and they could be gone in a matter, a matter of 10 minutes. We, we understand how this goes. And so it's like that. The Sea of Galilee sits in a valley, and there are some mountains around it, and so what happens uh, pretty routinely is the cold air comes down between the peaks of the mountains through the valley and mixes with the warm air right above the Sea of Galilee and creates these, these weather disturbances. And it's, it still happens today. The mountains haven't really changed much in 2,000 years. And, and so you, if you're there, if you witness this happening, you can see six to eight foot waves coming around and wind and rain and everything and just be a, 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 a Kind of like being caught in a tornado here in Florida. Just be, just wreak havoc. And these guys are in this boat that's made for fishing. Right? And, and it's not boat as we think of boats. Nice, big, stable boats with engines on it. This is a boat with some oars. It's got low sides so you can pull, you can pull nets over it. This is not a boat made for long-haul travel. 
And so now they've got these waves and they can't see over the waves, so they've lost sight of the shore and the crowds and what's going on. And, and, and also, water's coming over the sides, right? There's no pumps. There's, they might have a bucket or their hands and they're trying to get the water out and it's coming in faster and it's go out. And so now these rough seas are generating all of this fear and anxiety in them. Following Jesus, being in the boat with him is no longer smooth sailing for them. There's stuff that they have to confront and, and they have to deal with. And so for us, while we're not in a literal boat with Jesus, going to the, the other side uh, of the lake, because Jesus is the creator and sustainer of all things, Jesus is, Jesus is using some biblical imagery here in his lesson for the disciples and this lesson that's been passed on to us. See, in, in, in that era's way of thinking, water, okay, water was a mystery. Water was unknown. Right? They didn't have submarines. They didn't know what lies beneath uh, the water, except when they dropped their nets and pull, pulled in fish. Travel on the water was, was dangerous, and you're, you're at the mercy of the wind and the waves. And so water came to represent chaos. Water came to represent rebellion and opposition to God and evil. So when you're reading through the Bible, when you, particularly when you see rough seas and rough water, that is a picture of wickedness in the world. And as an example, later on, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 57. You can read verse 20, and it says that, that, that the wicked are like a tossing sea, that they're, they're unsettled and chaotic. That imagery pervades the Psalms as well as, as you are reading, reading through. So Jesus is using this imagery that would have spoke to the disciples and is intended to speak to us as well. So this is a, a very real picture of what it means to be a disciple in a, in a broken world that is fighting and is in opposition to, to the values of, of Jesus and this kingdom. Right, the, the brokenness of the world the systems of relationships and the systems of power are effective at drumming up these waves in our life that come, that come crashing against us, right? This, this turmoil of living that is in everything, right? From, from, from the stress that we experience in being married to someone to, to the money problems that, that happen seemingly randomly in, in, in a world that, that there's, lacks so much stability, the relational conflict we experience with, with friends and coworkers and just the driver next to you that wants to cut you off and, and, and does crazy things, death, illness, uh, the safety of our kids, the expectations that we have, the values that we walk around with, all of these things we come crashing against us. Right? We're in a safe little place here where we're all affirming each other in Christ. But the moment we leave this movie theater, it's like we get assaulted by the rough seas of the world around us. And what does it mean to live for Christ in that? So these waves attack our foundation. They attack the root of who we are and what our identity is. And so we have to constantly be developing and fostering that root. Paul in Ephesians 4 says that, that the knowledge of the Son is what keeps us from being tossed about on, on the waves. More of, the, more of this 
chaos imagery. So this constant pressing in, you feel it, I feel it, we all are in this together, creates this anxiety in us, right? And then when that gets communicated to us on every vehicle, our phones and our computers and our TVs and whatever else you, you use to interact with the world, just continues to foster that anxiety because the boat is rocking. And that's why it's so hard to follow Jesus with one foot in the boat and one foot out. Right, what happens when the, when the, when the six-foot waves come and you've got one foot in and one foot out? You're falling in. You're going to be consumed because you're not planted on the right foundation. Our, our hearts, we, cra we crave peace and security, but we, we look for it in the wrong way. And here's what the disciples, they're doing. They're looking for it in the wrong way as well. See, security for us as followers of Jesus it's not found in the absence of trouble. Trouble is going to be part of our lives. People, Jesus promises trials and persecutions to anyone that, that dares follow him. Security is found in the presence and proximity of Jesus. In remembering that, that Jesus is in the boat with you. He doesn't do this from far away. So the disciples were following Jesus' direction. The disciples are now caught in this storm. They are, they are freaking out because they don't know what to do. For us, we are, we are promised that the world will hate us. The, the storm is attacking our, our boat, our stable foundation. Because in Christ, we are rebelling against the values and the systems of the world. So... We're promised Jesus is in the boat with us. So in verse 38, since Jesus is in the boat, let's see what he's doing. And in verse 38, it says, Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. Great. Great. So Jesus is now, this is one way that I might be like Jesus. Okay, maybe it's the only way. But I love sleeping on a cruise ship. Right? The, the rocking of the boat. Oh, man, I'm just like a baby. I'll, I can sleep forever on a cruise ship. Now, this isn't a cruise ship. This is six-foot waves, and Jesus is just laying there. Uh, he, he is out like a light. So Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion, and the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? They come and they press their anxiety right on, on Jesus. So Jesus, since he is tired from a day of sleeping, he's tired from a day of teaching, he is asleep, and they come and they shake him, don't you care? Hear those words. Jesus, we're following you, don't you care? And this is the height, this is the heart of the discipleship parable, I think. And I think this is the, the biggest thing that we have to take home from this, this six or seven verses that we're reading here. The disciples, they get down in Jesus' face and they rebuke him. They, they perceive him as indifferent to the, what's going on around them. Jesus, don't you care? They're, they're not approaching Jesus and asking him for help. That's not what's going on here. They're not getting down to Jesus and saying, you know what, Jesus, I got to confess, I'm afraid here. Uh, what, what, what should we do? They're not approaching Jesus. They accuse him. They're saying, Jesus, this was your idea. We did exactly what you said. Don't you care that we are all about to die? I just want to just pause for a second and say, I am not saying that we should not approach Jesus with our fear. 
that we should not approach Jesus and, and ask him to help us with our circumstance. I want to make clear that what the disciples do when they go and wake sleeping Jesus is they are not asking for help. Okay? They, are, are, they have an accusing spirit against him. And, and they're say, basically they're saying this was a fruitless effort to follow you because all of this work, all this walking around with you is now going to get me dead at the bottom of a lake. And this is their fundamental flaw in who they thought Jesus was. Don't you care? Our mission is about to fail. My view of the Messiah was wrong or you're just the wrong guy. And so in our lives, this same thing goes on. Right, when we learn something bad is going on, maybe it's a, maybe it's a health scare, maybe it's something wrong with the kids, maybe, maybe at your job you know that you're getting ready to be, be cut back, and, and then we approach Jesus and say, Jesus, don't you care? Jesus, I, I am following you. I'm doing the thing you, you said. I'm trying to go to church every week. I am reading my Bible every day, and still this happened. Don't you care? Jesus, I'm trying to live for you, and I, I talk about you to, to other people, and now they, they mock me, and they ridicule me, and make fun of me. Don't you care? Because we, we, have a, we go around with a very pragmatic view of who, who Jesus is and who, what the results of that are supposed to be in, in our life. Jesus, don't you care? And they overlook this fact that Jesus is in the boat with them. It's not like he got out of the boat and sent them across into the storm without him. I mean, he knew, Jesus knew the storm was coming. None of this was mysterious. So being a disciple for us, 2,000 years later, not in the physical boat, uh, this fishing boat crossing the lake, being a disciple means learning to remain turned toward Jesus. This is, the, this is the same tactic, by the way, that the enemy used thousands of years before in the garden. Right? And so we got Adam and Eve. God's created them. He's given them their purpose. And he says, oh, just by the way, don't eat fruit from this one tree. And then in slithers the serpent, and, and when the ser serpent comes around, draws their attention away from God onto the fruit of the tree. So they, they looked away from the, from the image of the one who created them. They looked to the fruit of the tree, and at that point, then the enemy whispers in their ear and says, do you know why God doesn't want you looking at the fruit? It's because he's withholding something. He's keeping something from you. There's something better. And so the seeds of distrust are, are, are sown. And the same thing's happening on this boat crossing the Sea of Galilee. Instead of being focused on Jesus and focused on the purpose and the mission and the destination where they're going, they're focused on the waves. They're, they're looking outward. They're looking, uh, they're looking away. And so turning toward Jesus means turning away from, from our learned and comfortable responses. Right? Turning, turning toward Jesus means turning toward the, the truth and being focused on who Jesus says he is and who he says in turn we are. We, we need to enter his rest. Right? He's asleep on the ship. He is at rest. We need to enter that rest with him. And in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus invites us to do that. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And that, it's that rest that, that our soul craves, and we're trying to find, find somehow, some way. Right? We play the lottery because, or if you do, if you do play the lottery, sorry, I wasn't accusing anybody. But why do we do that? Because we want rest. 
right? We don't want to have to worry about the financials anymore. Jesus invites us to have that. Whatever was happening on that boat, Jesus was experiencing it too. Whatever's going on in your life that might feel insurmountable or is causing that anxiety or fear, Jesus is going through that too because he lives in you. He is walking your every day along with you. He is not remote and far away. Jesus is in the boat with you right now. So whatever happens to you financially, whatever accusations somebody makes of you, uh, how your body compares to somebody else's body, whatever false expectations the world is laying at your feet about your productivity or what you need to consume or what you need to not consume, Jesus is experiencing that with you and he wants you to have rest from that. He wants you to live at peace from that by following him and keeping your attention focused on who he says you are and why you matter, not what the world and its systems and its powers say about you. We can learn to have rest during our trials. And rest is such a foreign concept for us, particularly in our culture. Right? We, we live in a culture that we are all judged. Everyone in here is judged by your productivity. Right? What did you do? That's what we ask each other. What did you do today? Because now I want to I measure out what you did versus what I did so I know who's living the, the better life. We're constantly having to, to live in this state where we have to prove ourselves. And if you just say, you know what, I sat around on the couch for an hour today and meditated, you're going to get judged harsh, right? Because you didn't do anything, uh, quote unquote. We have to remain on alert and make sure that, that, our, that our image it, that we present to the world is what everybody is expecting, right? And that's really kind of the problem with social media because it gives us that outlet to put on this false image of my life is one big vacation or look at all the great things that I do. And then we see how we don't measure up with what other people's images are. And so we feel torn apart. Our minds race when we try to get quiet. We're always inputting noise in so that we're not distracted by our thoughts or what God might be trying to tell us. We have no focus or discipline because we are at a world that does not want to be at rest or is avoiding rest. And this is kind of a byproduct of the natural world versus supernatural world distinction I mentioned at the top. Right? When we take God out of the day-to-day, -day, when, when everything around us is just natural and just going on, and I don't really even think about God who sustains and creates and is active, when I take the God out of the day-to-day, -day, then I have to be productive. I have to be generating my own sense of worth and value. Mark 39 says, Jesus got up. He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. There's that response to the rebellion, right? The water, the, 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 the choppy water that I told you that Jesus is using this biblical imagery and he is rebuking it. He's rebuking this rebellion. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he looks at his disciples and he says to them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Right? Seems like an interesting, interesting response. But first, we see Jesus is giving proof of his authority. 
right? The, 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 the Jewish writings, if you read the Old Testament, the Jewish writings associated the power of God with the power to control the, the weather and the environment. And so Jesus is right there giving proof of his authority to them. So this calming this storm, this is specifically for them. He, he knows that they have the wrong view of who he is as Messiah. And so he's giving them an affirmation of who he really is. That he is God come to walk, uh, walk among them. That he and the Father are one. All these things that he has taught them, he is now showing them by, the, by this, this action, having this power uh, over nature. Because I, I, I want you to understand that this, this story of calming the storm, this is not for us to take and say, Jesus is going to make all the storms hitting the side of my life go away. Because we all know that's not true. Right? We, all ha- we all have stuff going on in our lives that, that is not necessarily being made calm. But what, what Jesus is promising is that you can have calm in the storm. The storm here is a mirror for the disciples to see their faith. And Jesus, with the power of his word, is able to calm the waters. And it's the same words of Jesus that should provide calm for us. Right? Jesus promises, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. When you are in the boat with him, he is not going to abandon you. He's not going to pull the rug out from under you. He's not going to set you up for failure. Jesus, by his word, this powerful word that calmed the storm, says, I am your friend. I have every right as, as, as God to, to, to make you my servant and call you that, but I call you my friends. I want to be in relationship with you. This is how this is true of us. How we go through our trials and how we go through the burdens of living reflects what our faith is in. Now, I just want to repeat, this doesn't mean we shouldn't be afraid at times. This doesn't mean that we shouldn't cry out to God for help or, God, I don't understand what's going on. N- none of that is true. But what I'm saying is we, we shouldn't accuse Jesus. We shouldn't say, don't you even care about me. You have got me into this mess. So when you're going through your trials and your burdens, do you come across or do you find yourself having an entitled mentality? Like, I am entitled not to have to go through this? Or do you give thanks? Do you give thanks for what, what God is trying to do, how he is trying to shape you? We are supposed to give thanks in all circumstances. Not for the circumstances, right? That'd be kind of weird to thank God for a car accident or something like that. But we can be thankful for the the action that God is taking in our lives and that he hasn't left us and he is not done with us regardless of what happens. When you go through the trials and burdens, do you blame? Do you lash out? Does your anxiety control you? Or are you surrendered to God and what his will for for you? Surrender doesn't mean give up. Surrender just doesn't mean to to lay down and take it, but surrendered means I know there is a purpose and a plan for my life, and I'm going to trust the God that wrote this before the before He created anything, and He wrote the He wrote the how your life was going to be. It can be tough to do this because we hold on to the false things so tightly. 
right? I, I want to be popular. I want to be liked. I want to, I want to have great things happen in the world. And I hold on to that tightly. And you might wonder, what, what, is, what is the thing that I need to do? And in John, Jesus gives it. Jesus says, there's only one thing. There's only one thing you have to do. And he, he answered the question, that very question, what do I have to do? What's my work? What's my purpose? And he said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent, to remain focused on Jesus, to, to know him more, to be in proximity with him. That is the work that you have to do. Your belief is the only thing in your life that God cares about. He doesn't care if you are successful at work. He doesn't care. Uh, I mean, ultimately, he does care about you and about, about your marriage and th those things. He wants you to have a, a fulfilled life, but he wants your belief more than anything else. So rounding out this passage in, in, in verse 41, the disciples were terrified. So Jesus just says, why are you so afraid? And now they up the ante instead of just being afraid. Now they're terrified. And they ask each other, who is this? Which is the question they need to be asking. Right? This, is, this is where they have to go back to the start line and evaluate. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. We see here they have surprise in who they're following. This was unexpected. You know, I'm sure when they said, don't you care, Jesus, they didn't expect him to speak and make the storm go away. And so as we get ready to, to finish up here, here's the question that I want you to leave with today. Who is Jesus? What, what false expectations have you laid at his feet that you are frustrated that he is not, not meeting in your life? Who is the Jesus that you are following, that you have some misconception over? And, and ask yourself, who is this? What does your response to the turmoil of living tell you about your belief? What does it tell you about your discipleship? What does it tell you about the root of what your identity is? These are key questions so that you can get that other foot that is dragging along in the water and is creating instability in your life, that you can bring it in the boat and be fully in the boat and fully committed to Jesus when you know and understand who you're following and what he wants for you in your life. Please pray, pray with me. God, I just want to thank you this morning that for whatever all of us came in here with, whatever is going on in our relational world, whatever's going on in our, our, our vocational world, whatever's going on in our spiritual life, I want to thank you today that you, uh, you are in the boat with us. That in, in Jesus, you proved that to us because you, you left heaven and you came and walked among us. You put on weakness. You're humble and you came to us so that we could have a, a way back to you. So I want to I wanna thank you for that and that we can live with that truth every day. That we can live in the knowledge that as much as the world wants to rebel against us and live in opposition to what, what we believe in, that you will not leave us or forsake us. That we can have peace and we can have rest even though there is raging storms of opposition all around us. 
So God, I pray that that would give us confidence to follow Jesus with our whole heart, not just, not just part of it, that we would be wholehearted in being conformed to the image of your Son. So thank you, God, and thank you for this church and our opportunity to worship and to learn and pray that we carry all these truths with us as we are assaulted by the world as we leave these doors. In the name of Jesus, amen.